with insight on God's involvement in your life. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. God is very much involved with every detail of my life, of your life. There are no coincidences in your life. There are only God incidences. Now, that's not to say that everything that happens to me was planned by God, but that God is able. God is so sweeping in his understanding. He is the ultimate master chessman. He sees all the possible moves on the board, the mistakes I can make, etc., and he compensates for them. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I say, let this world know me by your It's comforting to know that not only is there a God, but that he's involved. He's not feeble, but very able. How involved? How able? We'll get some answers on today's Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're very glad you've joined us as we begin a new book of the Bible, the book of Hebrews, which provides insight on what God's doing in our world today. Here now to introduce this wonderful, encouraging book, Along with its theme and its author is Pastor Ed. The book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verse 1. God, great word to start with. God, who at various times and in different ways, spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we ask that you would open our minds and hearts to learn from you, that your Holy Spirit would teach us more about who you are. Speak to us now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. God is, God is. I read where not long ago, a couple in Maryland, the state of Maryland, bought a new car and they ordered one of the personalized plates from the DMV and it had those five letters on it, God is. I had no idea the fear it would start. It reached all the way up to the governor's office, evidently, and finally the DMV administrator recalled their personalized license plate. Well, it turns out that the couple were both attorneys <laughs> and believers, and so they appealed. And it went all the way up to the district court, and they won. <laughs> the DMV was forced to give them the license plate back. No matter what courts say or don't say, God is, <laughs> and he will remain so forever. That's really what we're looking at this morning, who God is. This new book that we're starting, Hebrews, we're left without knowing for sure who the author is. And you can spend weeks reading different people's opinion about who the author might be. Earliest church opinion, 
Clement was his name of Alexandra, he said that the Apostle Paul wrote it, but that it is structured differently than Paul's other letters because he was writing to Hebrews and it was written in the Hebrew language. And the Greek that we have was translated by Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. Now that makes sense if you compare, if you read Greek, you compare the Gospel of Luke and this letter, the particular phrases he uses are found in both books. It's not really important, but I believe it's Paul for four reasons, and then you can tell me why I'm wrong. Just send me those cards. Number one, the writer was a close companion of Timothy, according to Hebrews 13.23, the same Timothy, the two letters we studied recently. The writer has been in prison for his faith, according to Hebrews 10.34. The Apostle Paul obviously was. Peter said in writing to Hebrew Christians in his letter, he said that Paul had also written to them. There's no other letters in the Bible that speak of Paul writing to Hebrews, unless he's referring to this. And lastly, this one of Clement saying, the oldest historian says that Paul wrote it. So, whether or not it was written by Paul is really not important. We can be assured that it is God-breathed, that all Scripture is God-inspired. Just like the other 65 books in the Bible, God has inspired men to write. This book has three short verses at the introduction, and the structure of them help us see the structure of the whole book. This book, someone said, is about Jesus being better than, and it's true in the first three verses we're looking at. Jesus is better than the prophets of old in the first three verses. In verse four, it begins the section that says, Jesus is better than angels because the Hebrews were very much into angelology. And on and on it goes through the book. We'll see that Jesus is better than. God is not silent, Francis Schaeffer wrote years ago. The God who is and he is not silent. God is trying to make contact with humanity, not just humanity as a whole, but you, me, individually. It is part of God's strategy. And in this new book, we find a compelling scripture describing God's involvement with life, with you, with me. This shows a very active God who is involved in every detail of your life. Now, Americans have received a theology of deism from our early fathers of our nation. And that's the concept that God did create the world, and that God made everything, that he designed it, but he designed it so well it just continues on on its own. The divine watchmaker idea, that God built a clock so efficient that all he had to do was start it and then go to Hawaii. This says otherwise. This book suggests that God is very much involved with every detail of my life, of your life. There are no coincidences in your life. There are only God incidences. Now, that's not to say that everything that happens to me was planned by God, but that God is able. God is so sweeping in his understanding. He is the ultimate master chessman. 
He sees all the possible moves on the board, the mistakes I can make, etc., and he compensates for them. So here we have a description of who God is. To be more precise, God the Son. We're going to see seven attributes about Jesus. Now, we could literally spend three weeks just on these three verses, one verse each week. But I try and move fast enough that it doesn't bore you who are not interested, but slow enough so that we get the important stuff. So this section, three verses, three concepts. The first one, what has God done in the distant path in the Old Testament, verse 1? What has he done in the New Testament, verse 2? And then what is God doing right now through Jesus in your life and in mine? And we'll see that continues throughout the whole book. That's really also the theme of the book. What is God doing in the world today? So let's jump in, see what God might say to each of us. Verse 1, God, great word to start with. <laughs> God, who at various times and various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Our English translation starts with that word, so simple, yet so sweeping, so important, so critical. The verse assumes, as the Bible does, that God exists. And it also assumes that God has given us enough rational logic, enough brain cells, if you will, that every person is confronted with the argument from design. Whether or not you know anything about statistics, anyone can look and see that it's an amazing world, a world of wonder that we live in. And that's one of the first arguments here. Now, this letter is different than all the other ones we've looked at. The writer skips over the introduction, the salutation, the greetings. They're not there. He just goes right into the task at hand. He's going to speak to us about the fact that God has spoken. And it's so obvious that everyone should understand it. God is outside the fishbowl, if you will, and looking in. And he cannot be seen, cannot be measured. We cannot use scientific instruments to prove or disprove his existence. He cannot be reproduced in a test tube. Empirical science has no impact on the study of him. Unless he had spoken to us, we could never know what he's like, which is the point here. Time Magazine did an interview with two men, the famous atheist, if you will, Richard Dawkins, a botanist from Oxford, and uh, probably the most famous scientist in the world, currently the head of the National Institute of Health, Francis Collins, who is both an MD and a PhD and a believer. And uh, he was asked by the interviewer, Dr. Collins, do you believe that science is compatible with the Christian faith? Yes, he said. God's existence is either true or false. But calling it a scientific question implies that the tools of science can provide the answer. They cannot. From my perspective, God cannot be completely contained within nature. And therefore, God's existence is outside of science's ability to really weigh in on the question. Faith is not the opposite of reason. Faith rests squarely on reason but with the added component of revelation, which is what this verse is saying. 
We cannot know God except by what he has revealed to us about himself. This is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray on the necessity of revelation if we're to know God. Now let's get back into Hebrews 1 as we see how God reveals himself. How did God reveal himself? Well, on several ways. But I started by reading to you this morning Psalm 19 because it speaks of one way that God speaks to us, and that's through the design, the creation. It began with the heavens declare the glory, display God. And the firmament, stellar space, shows his handiwork. Day unto day, utter speech. They're speaking all over the world to anyone who will look. Night unto night, they reveal knowledge. So this is challenging us to go home tonight, and when it's dark, step out onto the sidewalk or your driveway or your backyard, get away from as many lights as you can, and look up. Here's Hubble shots of stellar space beyond what we can see with our human eye, of course. But that's God's declared revelation to you and to me. And it is astounding. If you have an opportunity to visit one of the observatories in Southern California, Big Bear, down in L.A., Griffith Park, or treat yourself to a trip to the Big Island, Hawaii, of course, and, uh, and go there up on Mauna Kea, and go and see stellar space. It will strengthen your faith. God expects us to look around at his creation, to consider it, grasp that it could not have happened by chance alone. God spoke. God had a purpose. God has a purpose for you and me. God is revealing his purpose for you and me progressively. And he intends to continue to speak. The question is, are we listening? He spoke at various times in the past and in various ways. It's actually a play on words in the Greek language. The two Greek words for various actually rhyme and it makes a little sing-song, polymeros permolateros, with the word chi in between. So there's a, a little here and a little there, is what it's saying, that when you read the Old Testament, God is successively revealing himself to mankind. Successively, not because God didn't know where he was going, but had he given the future to the players, to the characters, to the people involved, including the prophets, they would have ruined the end, the end point of Jesus coming and dying for our sins. So in many separate revelations, in many different times, none of the prophets, nor the people they were talking to, Hebrews mostly, had the whole truth, but each had a part. And it was a building system to shepherds, to kings to paupers, and to priests, and to handmaids, and to queens. God spoke, and they recorded it for us. Many different ways also, a variety of presentations, in different ways to different people. And God had many different ways to touch people. In time past, 
Now, this is an interesting Greek word. There's two Greek words for old, something that's old. Arkanos, which is something that is old in time, or this word polyomos, which means to be old and worn out, which means to be no longer useful. This is not the word for archaic. This is not the word for the Old Testament was written a long time ago. It was, but that's not the writer's intent. He wants us to see that the Old Covenant is obsolete. His word, he's going to use it as we get further into the book, that it's worn out. It did what it was supposed to do in the time, the age of law, but we are now in the age of grace or the age of Gentiles, and the old has passed away. Jesus said the new covenant started when he handed the cup to his disciples. This is my blood of a new covenant. You can't put new wine in old wineskins. So we're part of something new that God is doing. The word means something worn out and needs an overhaul. To the fathers, by the prophets, to the fathers. Whose fathers? The fathers of the Jews. God spoke to Abraham under the stars. And he said, your offspring will be as numerous as the stars. To Jacob in a dream, as Jacob slept, there was a ladder and there were angels going up and down on the ladder. It was a picture of Jesus coming. To Moses, he spoke through a burning bush, Exodus 3. To Balaam, he spoke through a talking donkey. That's not strange. It happens here every weekend, still talking. To Elijah, in a still, small voice, 1 Kings 19. To Isaiah, in a vision at the temple, I saw God sitting on his throne. To Amos, a basket of summer fruit, in Amos 8.1. A pillar of fire by night and cloud by day. God spoke to Adam and told him that his wife, Eve, it was through her seed the Messiah would come and crush the head of the serpent. To Abraham, he told that the Savior would come from his seed. It was through Jacob, God told him that from the tribe of Judah, Shiloh would come in Genesis 49. God spoke to David and said that his offspring would be the Messiah, the son of David. He spoke to Micah, and Micah recorded this and told us that when the Messiah came, he'd be born in a then tiny little village, unheard of, Bethlehem. He spoke to Isaiah and told him that the Savior would be born to a virgin, and on and on this information that God progressively showed through these prophets. Each prophet getting only a small part because it was too big a concept for any one person to wrap their mind around. What concept? God is coming to visit his creation. God is coming. Second verse, the full revelation isn't found in the Old Testament, it's found in the New. Has in these last days, literally the final part of the last days, the last of the last days, you could say, spoken to us by son. Notice the word his is in italics. The translators want us to understand that they added it to help us. It does not. We'll come back to that. Whom he had appointed heir of all things 
through whom he also made the worlds. And this begins the list of seven attributes, seven characteristics of the Son, which is, of course, where he's going. Now, this is the Son of God, but what is really being conveyed here is a rearrangement of those words, God the Son. And I say that very bluntly because I want to confront the false teachings of this world that says Jesus was another prophet? No. Jesus was a good man. He was, but that's not why he came. Jesus was the son of an angel? No. Jesus is the brother of Michael or Lucifer? No. Jesus is otherworldly. Jesus is not created. We'll see in just a moment. So, final days, Jesus came and started and brought with him a new age, if I dare say, because <laughs> we all know that there's some crazy new age stuff. Maybe it would be better to say brought the messianic age. And there is no third age coming. This is the Messiah, and it's now him. And these last days spoke to us by son. This is the first comparison. This is the comparison of the son, God the son, versus prophets, versus what the Old Testament said. It had been through Hebrew prophets speaking to Jews. Now it is the son to us. Doesn't matter what tribe or tongue or even age you're living in now. God is speaking through the son. The son to us, or literally in us. Now, this is not saying he's the latest in the line of prophets. This is saying that Jesus Christ did not come to bear the message. Jesus Christ is the message. Eh? Jesus' life was on display so that we would understand who God is. Jesus lived out his life before us. Jesus did not come to tell us the good news. Jesus is the good news. This puts the Old Testament and the New Testament on completely different footings. The Old Testament was a message. The New Testament is a relationship. Jesus is superior to the prophets because he is the whole truth of God, not little pieces of it. When God the Son speaks, Everything he says is true. There's so many layers to it. That's why you and I have to take it apart slowly. So, by the Son and in the Son, he is both messenger and message. And what is the message of God? Well, it's the reason that it's the most famous scripture in the Bible. John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believe on him would have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn, look down on, point the finger at the world, but that through him we might have eternal life. What's the saying? God loves. God cares. God is all about mercy. God is all about establishing a relationship with you, personal not with a church, not with a pastor, not with anyone else. It's you and God. That's what he's looking for. Jesus is the messenger of God to the world, announcing that God loves you and desires a relationship with you. 
There you have the first of many messages we planned for you from the book of Hebrews. And this is Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. Did you miss a portion of the message or was there a part you wanted to hear again? Just go online to thepackinghouse.org for a replay. We archive our programs there for you so you can listen anytime you'd like. That's thepackinghouse.org or listen to us on Apple Podcasts. One more option is to call and ask for a CD copy at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Grow in Grace is made possible through the generosity of our listeners, and we're thankful for each and every gift that comes our way. If you've been blessed by the teaching you've received through this radio program and would like to support what we're doing in this new year, please give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. And as a way of saying thank you, we'll send you Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. This book brings together what Lewis saw as the fundamental truths of Christianity. And in it, he sets out to defend the beliefs that believers through the ages hold in common. And I know you'll be encouraged by what he has to say. So again, you can ask for your copy of Mere Christianity when you give today. Give us a call, 844-77-GRACE. Then join us for the next Grow in Grace as we continue through the Bible with Pastor Ed Ray. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship and online at packinghouse.org. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said let this world know me by your love.